Good morning, everybody. Did you all have a good Christmas? Uh, yeah, as I look around, you all look visibly plumper. <laughs> okay, so which one of you set the fire alarm off? I think it was Chris Leach. I saw him heading to the toilets with cigarettes. but <laughs> I think he was jealous because, as you know, we have this new gizmo. And Chris was the first one to wear it last week. Um, but I think I look much cooler with that on. And uh, Bruna reassured me this morning when I asked her how do I look with it. She said, you look like Brittany. Anyway, I don't see it myself. Anyway, as Chris said, we are kind of out of series at the moment. So that left me with a bit of a dilemma. What was I going to speak about? So, But my readings took me a, a week or two ago to Genesis 16. And it's the story of Hagar, if you remember Hagar had fallen pregnant to Abram, um, and she had started to despise her mistress. Um, So Sarah mistreated her, and she uh, ran into the desert. And there she was met by the angel of God. Um, And the angel of God um, spoke to her and said these words. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It is a spring that is near, beside the road of Shur. And he said, Hagar... Slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? That's a good question to ask. In the busyness of our human lives, perhaps we need to be asked that question. Um, And um, God, I think, turns up uh, and asks that question of us more often than we we consider. So interestingly, um, as I thought about that, I almost immediately kind of thought of a poem that I wrote over a year ago. Um, So I want to share that with you today. Uh, It's called Gateway. My way has led me to this place, to this gate that I knew was waiting for me. And I thought that I walked towards it anew, tripping through life's tundra, tufted and tethered and hard going, head down until I arrived here. This gate, cross members displaced, splintered and scarred by rusting nails. It's once fresh wood, millennia old now, betrays its power for newness. For here is a place of acuity, a place of enchantment. I look back, and in the detritus of life that I might regret, a meadow of wildflowers. I look back and see the path prayerfully trod by unseen faithful pilgrims, who have journeyed here with me. I look back and see that redemption has followed behind me, for I knew not how to walk. But this gate is here, and now I see ahead me into this uncreated place. I see the mountains rise up, snow-capped with splendor, and hear faintly the rippling water, the vocabulary of children, and verdant green pastures, patchwork painted before me, as a comet is propelled above, not seen for 40,000 years. I lean and the gate eases open, creaking to remind me, mind and body, that I'm not as supple as I was. But I'm moving on now, for I know another gateway awaits. So I want you to hold those images. I'm sure that you have had some images there, and I want you to hold those we're going to revisit those uh, later on. It's been a big year in our household. We have had significant birthdays. We have had bucket list celebrations. And most importantly, we've had the wedding. The 
Here we come. Now, I know all you women will be looking at that dress, but I want you to look at that guy in the jacket. Look at that jacket. Um, I mean, we all have these highlights and memories um, that often are captured in our photographs. But this year has also brought real times of disappointment and times of disorientation for us. And these are the things that are not captured in photographs and social media. And I expect that all of you have had ups and downs in your lives. It's been a big year for the church. We just had our sixth anniversary, the officially opening of our new building and our amazing carol service. It's hard to believe that last January we were in a shell of a building. Um, and I remember the times when Stephen and some of the others came in here to pray and we, in the cold nights in the dark. Um, and now we occupy this whole space. We've seen more people join our church family. We've seen growth in our Connect Cafe and uh, the first uh, year anniversary of our pantry. We have much to celebrate, and yet there have been many challenges. We've also had a year of great teaching. And more importantly, we see the fruit of the Spirit becoming more and more evident in people's lives. And so as we think about where we have come from this year, I wonder what you carry forward. What memories have you made? What disappointments have taken root? I wonder what has spoken to you this year. What has been the highlight, that spark of revelation that might alter the trajectory of your life? Remember back to the beginning of the year when we did our Cultivate series about the parable of the sower? Do you remember the message? The seed is always good. We must attend to the quality of the soil of our hearts to allow us to have lives that are abundantly fruitful. There are rocks to contend with. <clears throat> There are weeds of distraction that can grow up and choke us and shallow soil in our lives where the good seed just can't get established. Then after Easter, we had our familiar to fascinated series where we looked again at Jesus through fresh eyes to see the beauty of Jesus as he encountered the disciples and the ups and downs of their lives. The same Jesus wants to know us in the same way. In the summer, we had our Living Tent series. Here we saw how the tabernacle was carefully planned by God as a place where he could be present with his people. We learned about the showbread, the laver of water, the candlestick, the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant. We learned that only the high priest could enter and only once a year and only if a sin was atoned for to be present to God. But we know that all of this, of course, points to Jesus. He is the bread of life the bread that sustains us. He is the water of life, the water that washes us from all unrighteousness. He is the light of the world, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He is the door, the door into the Holy of Holies. Through him, we have access to the Father. He is the good shepherd, the good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep so that the sheep do not have to be sacrificed. And ultimately, Jesus said, I am the resurrection of the, and the life. He is the one who lives and reigns forever. And whoever believes in him will never die. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is our sacrifice. The blood, his blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is our everlasting high priest, forever interceding on our behalf before the Father. Everything comes together in him and for him.
And then we've just come out of our present, Presence People series. And here our text has been 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. As Al said, probably one of the most important verses in the Bible. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. We're invited to be those who prioritize the presence of God. Our faces are now unveiled. We are those who see the face of God through Jesus and are being transformed. But perhaps one of the highlights for me this year has, was hearing Kaz and Hazel and Ken and Shane come and share. And as Alan said, there are so many other people whose stories could have been told that Sunday. I remember Kaz said as she told us that she'd moved from waiting for God to waiting with God. Hazel told us about how her studying theology had opened up to new experiences of God and her word for us of flood management to get ready. Ken, of how he felt God really spoke to him at Nua and Connor's revelation to, uh, to him through a picture. What's amazing is that God speaks into our lives wherever we are, whatever stage we're at, and invites us into more of him. So much good teaching this year. So much evidence that Holy Spirit is working in people's lives. But strangely, the thing that has surfaced and resurfaced in me this year has been our autumn 2022 series, Gilgal. If I were to try to pinpoint a turning point for me, and, and I think for this church it was there, I feel that as a real pivot point, a, a moment of transition. So I want to, um, you to hear these verses again from Joshua 4. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord of your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When across the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. As we've made this building ready over the last year, as we've sacrificed our money and time and energy, it feels to me that we've been building a memorial to God. We have, like those 12 chosen men, been asked to see these stones, these bricks, as placed here beside this river in this place by God. But we must understand that it would only have been possible to take the, those stones from the riverbed if it had not been for the miracle that happened upstream. God has gone before us. God has provided. God is present with us as the ark was right there in the midst of the River Jordan. Remember what Gilgal represents. It's a place of new beginnings. The reproach of Israel is rolled away. It's a place of consecration. The people were marked out, set aside for him. It's a place of remembrance. When our children see these stones, they will remember God's provision. It is the place to advance from, a place to take the land. As we move into this building, this is what we must remember. These stones are a memorial to God's faithfulness to us. We've been brought here for some new kingdom purpose. We must ready ourselves for the task of taking the land. 
But what's the land we're to take? For people who were under the rule of a foreign power and who lived for a new king, a new Joshua to lead them, Jesus came and talked of a kingdom that would be like a mustard seed. This kingdom was not one that would be taken by power and might, but by the spirit. This king would be victorious, not by strength, but by sacrifice. The land isn't a physical place. The land is the hearts and minds of those who live in darkness. This is what the land brought under the kingship of Jesus looks like. It's a place of flourishing and well-being. It's a place where the poor are cared for. It's a place where those who haven't experienced goodness in their lives come to experience the goodness of God. It's a place of freedom. Freedom from the tyranny of darkness and oppression inside and out. And so this is our struggle as we see the task before us. Ephesians 6 reminds us, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But when we see the kingdom of God uh, come and we experience the fullness of life, this is the picture in the poem. I see mountains rise up, snow-capped of splendor, and hear faintly the rippling water, the vocabulary of children, and verdant green pastures, patchwork painted before us. When the kingdom comes into uncreated places in our lives, we see flourishing, rest, and peace. I look over this last year and see that we are on the cusp of something. We stand with our children and look at these stones raised up and know God's provision for us. We, I sense, are being prepared for something new. So how do we take this land for Jesus? How do we see the kingdom come? When I was preparing this, I I had a real sense that this this next uh, sentence was really important. Um, The extent that we see the kingdom come out there depends on the extent that God's kingdom comes in here in our hearts and minds. The extent that we see the kingdom come out there depends on the extent that God's kingdom comes in here in our hearts and minds. Of course, God isn't limited in any way, but God chooses to wait for us. He waits for his children to return home to him for their hearts and minds to be aligned with his. His deepest desire is that we grow in maturity and increasingly take up the Father's business. Our motif over the last six years has been following the cloud, but we never hear of the cloud after the journey through the wilderness. Where has the presence of God gone? Such is God's desire to be with his children. We learn that God constrains himself, his manifest presence, to live in a tent, the tabernacle, in the midst of his people. He constrains himself to travel with his people in the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark goes before his people as they come into the Promised Land. The Ark is held in the middle of the River Jordan so that the people can cross over safely. Last week, uh, we celebrated Christmas Day. We celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. God constrains himself to occupy the body of a human baby. 
That baby grows up to become Jesus, the new Joshua, who will save his people from their sins. Jesus shows us what the Father is like. As we have just learned in the Presence People series, we see the face of God in the face of Jesus. But the greatest mystery is how God has chosen to constrain himself to live in us. We have the spirit of the living God in us. We are being transformed into his likeness. So 2 Corinthians 3, uh, we obviously touched on this in the present series, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is a spirit. Just let that sink in for a moment. So what's the next thing our Father has for us? My sense is that we're moving into a new season. Um, we have arrived in this place, but this is, the begin- this is a place of new beginnings. We're moving into a season of maturing, maturing as individuals and as the body of Christ. In the past year in Life Group, uh, we've spent some time thinking about what it is to be authentic disciples of Jesus. How are we actually transformed? In Emmanuel, we have three key values, which really are our framework for discipleship. Loving God, loving people, loving the world. But how are these made tangible to us as we get up every morning and spend time with God, as we go about our day, as we meet in life groups, as we gather as a church? So we spend some time considering this, um, and I've been working, I'm a visual learner, so I've been working on this kind of diagram. Um, And uh, so if you, for those of you who aren't visual learners, I apologize. So firstly, how do we love God? We seek intimacy with him. We desire to spend time with him. We talk to him. We listen to him. That's how we prioritize the presence of God. How do we love others? We can only love others if we have first come to love ourselves. Not our broken, sinful selves, but our true selves that we are becoming. We need to first know that we are precious children of God. And that he is our loving father. Only from this place can we love others. We need to understand and push into our identity. How do we love the world? The world does not need your eye. The world does not need the best version of us. We are not able to love our enemies or love the world. It's only when God pours his love into our hearts that we can authentically love the broken. It is only when God imparts his authority and power can we do and see the greater things that Jesus told us to expect. We cannot bear fruit without him. It is his impartation that enables us to love the world. So maybe this year you'll think about these things, intimacy, identity, and impartation. Our model, of course, is Jesus. Listen to what he said and what was spoken over him. I and the Father are one. Jesus lived from a place of intimacy with his Father. And then Jesus heard these words, this is my son who I have chosen, listen to him. Jesus lived out his life from that security of his sonship. 
And then in these verses in John, the son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the father doing. Jesus didn't draw on his divine nature. He lived out his, his life filled and empowered by the Spirit. And so Jesus is our model. We can be fully human and live a lives pleasing to God. And so this is how this outworks in our lives. We are presence people. Get the next slide. We love God and we do his works. So you remember when Jesus was asked uh, what were the greatest commandments. And he said, love the Lord thy God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. We need to understand our personhood, our identity in Christ. And we need to also understand how we were formed into a people. So loving people requires us to understand our identity, both as individuals and as a people. God imparts to us passion and power. It is only his love and authority that impacts the world. And when we consider the story, my, I think my favorite story in the Bible of the prodigal son, we understand that that's what this pushes into. We understand that the father wants intimacy with us. He ran to us. We understand that whenever our father runs towards us, he doesn't call us a slave or a hired hand. He calls us his children. And we understand that our father gives us his cloak and his ring. He imparts to us all that we need. So Jesus models how a human being can live a life pleasing to the father. God constrains himself to live in you so that you can know that you are a treasured son and daughter and that he is making you into his masterpieces. I believe that the next season we're moving into is seeing the fullness of all this in our lives as individuals and as the body. And so the poem brings us to a gateway. I didn't know this when I was writing it. But the gateway is Jesus. He is the doorway. The gate, cross members displaced, splintered and scarred by rusting nails. It's once fresh wood, millennia old now, is the cross. The paradox of the cross is that it betrays its power for newness. For here is a place of acuity, a place of enchantment. We are endlessly invited to this gateway, to this doorway. The fullness of life lies beyond it. We meet Jesus, crucified and risen here, and see what he has done in our lives and who we are becoming. The arms of the Father are always open to welcome his children home and enjoy all he has for them. And so I love this quote from Dallas Willard. It reminds us of what discipleship is really all about. The most important thing in your life is not what you do. It's who you become. That's what you take into eternity. When I was preparing this, I thought a lot of what it means to follow Jesus. I thought of my own journey. 
I really felt that some people feel that following Jesus means walking respectfully behind him. Possibly afraid to draw alongside. Afraid that he might ask much of them. But this is what I feel his invitation is to us, to you today. Come and sit before him. Gaze into his eyes and feel his loving hand caress your cheek. Feel his love fill your soul. Feel him take the hands, your hands, and help you let go of the things you hold on to so that he can repurpose you for his work. Feel his joy fill you, his peace rest in you. Hear his voice. Let the little children come on to me. If you're here today and you've never accepted that invitation, Jesus' welcome is open to you. If you're here today and that resonates with you, that sense of possibly being afraid to draw closer, Jesus wants to know you. He wants to know you this way. He wants to fill you with himself. And so if you, the prayer ministry team are here today, if you would, uh, at this, the beginning of this new thing, the beginning of this new season, if you would like to know more of Jesus in this way, then come forward for prayer today. I want to end with a psalm, a psalm that I read a couple of weeks ago, and I, I felt that this is the passion that we want for our God and all that he has done for us. And so I'm going to read it as a prayer. It's Psalm 63. It's written in the first person, but I've changed it, in case you're wondering. So I'm with David. So if you want to close your eyes, if you feel comfortable to hold out your hands, uh, as we, as we uh, pray this over us. You, God, are our God. Earnestly we seek you. We thirst for you. Our whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. We have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, our lips will glorify you. We will praise you as long as we live, and in your name we will lift up our hands. We will be fully satisfied, as with the richest of foods, with singing lips, our mouths will praise you. And so, Father, we just thank you for each person here. We thank you that you have constrained yourself to live inside each one of us through your spirit. We thank you, Father, for what you're doing in our lives and in our church.
we ask for more, Father. We ask that you would fill us, that you would form your son, Jesus, within us. Yes, Father, we just thank you for your love and your care for us, that you come running towards us, that you look at us as your precious children, that you place your mantle upon us and put a ring on our finger so that we can go about your business in this world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our service is officially over. If you, I'd love if you feel that this has spoken to you today that you'd maybe come up for prayer. Prayer team should be here somewhere. Otherwise, tea and coffee awaits. <laughs>